welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford and Woking in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. Right, let's stretch out our hands towards these these lovely people. Lord, we're thankful to you for Tim and Rachel. Thank you for their resilience and their faithfulness to you. Thank you, they're just pouring their lives out for you. And we just bless them. Everything you're doing in uh, Emmaus and in this uh, part of the world, we ask that you would do with them and more. Uh, Lord, bless us as much as we need to be blessed, but bless them even more. We thank you for those who come to know you. We thank you for the song that's rising out of Birmingham. Lord, we're sorry for uh, the way that that city was held back. And we want to pray that you'd help them to be leaders, not just in a great church, but a great city. And we bless them. We bless their kids. We bless their family. We even bless Putney the dog in the name of Jesus. And we pray you'd speak through Rachel now to our hearts. Amen. Very Franciscan. God blesses animals too. Amen. Brilliant. Rachel, lovely to have you here. Thank you. So good to be here. Let me just switch this device on. Yeah, um, what a joy. What an absolute joy and privilege to be with you all uh, this morning. Um, I just wanted to show you a very quick sort of obligatory family photo, which I think will appear up on the... And there's Putney, glorious Putney, looking really, really muddy. And I actually hold Pete and Sammy personally responsible for the fact that we have a dog in this picture that is covered in mud. Because about 10 or however long ago, ago it was, we, uh, we visited these guys when their little dog was a puppy, Noodle. And I completely fell in love. And I basically spent the next 10 years on this dog campaign, trying to convince Tim to get one, and he finally relented. So um, apart from the dog, there are our gorgeous four children. Should have mentioned those first. There they are. Um, so, if, uh, if there was one verse, one, one verse of scripture that sums up what I sense that God has laid on my heart to say to you this morning, it would be this. It's from Psalm 107, verse 1 to 2, uh, and it goes like this. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. And stories are incredibly powerful, aren't they? You know, we, we are surrounded by stories, different narratives that are all kind of vying and fighting for our attention. And I discovered this, uh, this woman, she's an American woman, she's got an amazing name. Her name is Bobette Buster. That is her actual name. Uh, and she is a professor in America at a, a Californian university out there. She's also um, acts as a consultant for some of the big Hollywood studios. And she's kind of known, Bobette Buster is kind of known as this story guru. Uh, and Bobette Buster describes human beings as narrative animals. Narrative animals, because we just soak up stories. We love them. That's why we get hooked on soap operas. That's why we get... Uh, hooked on some of the, the TV box sets that go around. Anyone in a really good TV box set at the moment? Yes, I'll take some recommendations afterwards. Um, we love the John Lewis advert, don't we, at Christmas? You know, that, 
where, where a bunch of marketing and TV and, and uh, executives, they all sort of sit in a boardroom together and they, they hatch this creative plan to, to tell this uh, compelling narrative that's going to pull at our heartstrings and convince us to do all our Christmas shopping at one particular department store. And it works. We love, we anticipate uh, the story of it. But Bobette Buster also comments how storytelling has changed over the last 10 years. She says, we are entering a new digital age of storytelling, an age of content creation. And listen to this, that is, whoever owns the best story wins. Whoever owns the best story wins. And what's interesting is that she also concludes that every great, every good story needs a recreation or a redemption moment. And for those of us here who are followers of Jesus, we own the best story. We own the best story. We, we are part of the story of ultimate recreation, of ultimate redemption. And if you're here this morning and, and you're not sure what you believe, you, you don't follow Jesus yet, let me encourage you, grab hold of this story, this gospel story, this good news story, because there is re recreation and re re redemption and transformation right at the heart of it. And this gospel story that we know that we, that we are a part of, it, it isn't some abstract fable. It isn't like this sweet little fairy tale. It's a dynamic, life-changing story that we can be embedded in, that we get to be a part of. And it's also a story that we get to tell. It's a story that we get to share, whoever we are, Wherever we go, I believe that God has uniquely commissioned each one of us to tell this story in a whole variety of different ways, in whatever context God has put you in at this particular time, in this particular season of your life. And you know, many of us in this room, we know this story, right? We have heard this gospel story, this redemption story, millions of times. We probably heard it in millions of different ways. But my challenge this morning is how much are we allowing that story to really shape us, to truly transform us from the inside out? How much are we saturating ourselves within that story so that it just pours out of us all the time? How much are we willing to take a risk to share that story, to tell that story in whatever way or by whichever means to a world that as we look around is crying out to hear this story, the better story? to hear a better story than the one that they're being told right now. And you know, there are some great stories out there, aren't there? Some really great stories out there. But I believe, again, as followers of Jesus, we can be absolutely confident that we hold the keys to the better story. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. So here's the question. Which stories are we allowing, either consciously or subconsciously, to shape us? Which stories out there, around us, within us, 
are we consciously or subconsciously allowing to shape us? Because the story that we live in is the story that we live out. The story that we live in is the story that we will live out. It will be. Tim and I, um, before we moved to Birmingham, we lived in, in London for 10 years in Putney, hence the name of our dog. Uh, and so we were living in Putney, uh, but we were working at HTB. Many of you know HTB Church in South Kensington. And so every day, Tim and I together, we would take the underground from Putney, and it was five stops on the underground to South Kensington with a little change at Earl's Court. And so we would change lines at Earl's Court in order to get onto South Kensington. And we made that journey like every single single day, back and forth to, from Putney to South Kensington. And uh, I, um, uh, I got pregnant um, with our first child, Phoebe, uh, and uh, I went on maternity leave. And so Tim carried on making that journey across the underground um, on his own, uh, carried on working there at HTB. Uh, and then a few months into my maternity leave, out of the blue, just out of the blue, Tim buys me this sort of spo spontaneous romantic gift. Uh, and, uh, and I opened the gift, and inside the box was this bikini. Like, wow, that is, that is a gift. And, and, and this, it was a gorgeous bikini, like high-end, expensive, just out of the blue. It wasn't my birthday, anniversary, valentine, nothing. It was just this lovely, romantic gift. And I just thought I had the best husband in the world. And Tim was pretty pleased with himself. And, uh, you know, I, I have a husband that just buys me expensive swimwear, like out of the blue. Wow, I have done well. And about a week later, uh, there was a meeting at HTB that we both needed to be at. And, and so I'd organized a babysitter that particular evening. And so together, we embarked on that journey on the underground, five stops along from Putney. And we stood there, Earl's Court Station, where Tim would have stood every day on his way to work. And we stood there arm in arm, you know, still basking in the, the joy of the romantic bikini kind of gift moment. Uh, and as we stood there snuggling on the platform, I, I, I looked up. And across the tracks was this gigantic poster of a gorgeous model wearing the exact same <laughs> bikini that he had got me. Exactly the same. Exactly the same. Unfortunately for me, she looked a lot better in it than I did. But there we go. Did you say not true? Too little, too late, I'm afraid. <laughs> Fortunately, we laughed a lot about it, and I wasn't particularly offended. The thing is, though, externally, we are surrounded, aren't we? We are bombarded by different messages and stories, all wanting to inform us what we should believe, how we should behave, the choices that we should make. The thing is, stories shape what we believe. Everywhere we go, from the moment we wake up to the moment that we finally switch off our phones or close down that social media app just the moment before we go to bed. Hands up who does that. Guilty. We are being drip-fed messages. And, you know, I recently heard uh, that these phones that we carry around with us all day, every day, they have been algorithmically programmed by some of the brightest people on the planet to feed us stories that will literally shape our inner worlds. 
by analyzing our, our browsing habits, they literally know our inner desires before we do. And they tap into that. This isn't some sort of conspiracy theory. This is the reality of the world, the culture that we live in. You see, there is no neutral ground as we live our lives as followers of Jesus. Actually, as human beings, there is no neutral ground. That doesn't mean that we just sort of run and hide in a cave for the rest of our lives. But if we're serious about following Jesus, and if we want to be shaped to become like him, and, and incidentally, that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus, is to allow ourselves to, to, to be shaped by him. We have to be aware of how the stories around us are shaping us. And it's not just the external messages that we see all around us. It's also some of the internal storylines, maybe internal scripts that we carry around with us that shape us into the people that we're becoming. And these might be like significant narratives that as human beings we have with us. Maybe it's, um, maybe it's narratives or sort of stories of how you grew up, of the way you were parented, of, of where you lived. Maybe narrative scripts that you picked up during school or, or maybe key events in your life. It might be storylines that you see being played out within every significant relationship. And these scripts can define us. For some of us, those internal narrative scripts, they are soul-destroying. They're painful. They can leave this indelible mark on our lives. I've got one friend who experiences this sense of irrational fear almost every day. And her internal narrative script is that the world is this big, scary, dangerous place and it won't be long before something terrible happens to her or her children. And so this internal narrative script, it ticks away in her mind and it robs her of peace. It robs her of the ability to trust, to take risks. Or another friend who lives under this internal narrative script that he's just ordinary, that he's just ordinary. And, and unless he's able to sort of reach this elusive goal of doing or being something extraordinary, then he experiences anxiety, which leads to actual physical illness. Another friend who lives under the internal narrative script of, I'm not enough or I'm too much. Again, it ticks away in her mind. She, she wrote to me saying, uh, uh, I'm constantly thinking to myself, I'm not pretty enough. I'm not thin enough. I'm not brainy enough. I'm not funny enough. I'm not cool enough. I'm not driven enough. Not organized enough. Or I'm too much. Uh, I, I, I'm, too, I'm too loud. Uh, I'm, I'm too fat. I'm too chatty. I'm just taking up too much space. Another friend his internal script is, unless I perform, outperform everyone else, I'm not worthy of love. Another friend whose marriage broke down and lives under this internal script of, of shame and guilt. I heard of a woman who really suffered uh, under this, this weight of shame in adulthood. And as she began to unpick what was going on, what she realized is that... Um, when her mum was pregnant with her, it was an unplanned pregnancy. Uh, and rather than her mother celebrating the surprise of that moment, when she was born, her mum got into the habit of introducing her to everyone as my little mistake. My little mistake. And that was the narrative that she lived under her whole life. And so whether it's 
internal narratives or external messages, I believe that what God is wanting to say to us is we, we need to play, pay really close attention to the stories that we're allowing in, that we're allowing to shape us. You know, God's deepest desire is that we would know freedom, like true freedom, that we would know fullness of life, that we would know that we are deeply and unconditionally loved, uniquely precious children of God, delighted in, chosen, that, that, that we are full of potential and promise and purpose, that we're not perfect, but we are perfectly loved, that, that we're not uh, inval- infallible, but we are absolutely invaluable to our Heavenly Father. And so we desperately need to be aware which of the stories around us are in agreement with what God says about us? Which are the stories that are gonna propel us towards Jesus into truth and freedom and into our God-given purpose? And which of those stories are gonna undermine our identity in Christ? Which of those stories are gonna undermine the calling that God has placed on every single one of us? And so we need to wake up, wake up to the stories that we have allowed just to seep in that are inadvertently undoing this good work that God is wanting to do in and through us. And you know, the Bible tells us that there are forces actively at work wanting to sabotage this better story that God is wanting to write in our lives. Uh, and the Bible in Galatians, Paul talks about this, this destructive trio known as the flesh the world, and the devil. Uh, And these three forces, they kind of collaborate together to reinforce narratives that are going to hold us captive, that are going to distract us from the journey. And so the flesh are some of those internal scripts that we live by. It's those innate kind of fleshy, disordered desires and responses that are going to pull us away from God's best, from the better story. And then the world, uh, it's the values that our culture holds on to is pervasive values that are often in contradiction to the values of the kingdom of God. Values around identity and money and sexuality and power. And it's so easy, isn't it? So easy as we live our lives in this culture just to buy into what the culture says we should value. You know, what the culture says success looks like or, or, or the things that we should care about. You know, our, our eldest daughter is about to go to secondary school in September, and so we've been doing all these open days, and I was sat with her at this secondary school open day, and uh, the head teacher got up to do her opening uh, introduction speech, and literally her first words were these. Uh, she, she said, you cannot underestimate the importance of which school you send your child to. It will determine when they're older, whether they become a lawyer or whether they will need a lawyer. I, I mean, I literally laughed out loud. Nobody else laughed. I was gobsmacked. You see, the culture that we live in, it places value on things that are just inconsequential in the kingdom of God. I mean, school is important. Don't get me wrong. School is important. But I absolutely refuse to buy into this notion that the school that we go to determines how bright our future is. Only God determines that. The picture is so much bigger. And then 
the third part of this trio is the devil. Uh, and the, the Bible is really clear. We have an enemy. And the enemy hates the story, this better story that God is wanting to write within the chapters of our lives. And we are in a battle. You know, we know the war is won, right? Hallelujah. The war is won. But this battle for our affection, this battle for our attention, it still rages on. Uh, and the enemy will use a bunch of different tactics to derail us from this process of being shaped to be like Jesus. And some of those tactics are really obvious and, and blatant. But again, scripture is pretty clear that Satan's primary strategy, it's more subtle than that, Satan's primary strategy is this. It's the weaponization of misinformation. The weaponization of misinformation. It's deceit. He's described as the father of lies. And his game plan is to try and convince us to believe and to buy into the wrong story. And so we'll collude with some of those disordered, unhealthy desires of the flesh and the, the dead-end values of the world and take the lies that we already believe about ourselves, which conveniently kind of reinforced by the values of the culture around us. And he will use those things to whisper this narrative that will undermine what God is doing. And for me, you know, one of those internal scripts that I carried with me for a long, long time was this. I absolutely believed that I was ugly. That was the script. You're ugly. You're ugly. You're ugly. And I, I carried that script inside for so long. I remember um, when I was a teenager in my early 20s, I, I sort of quickly came to the conclusion that I, I didn't live up to the world standards of what beauty looked like. It didn't matter that I had been designed and created by Almighty God. I just wanted to look like those airbrushed images that every woman is subjected to and is unconsciously trying to attain to. You know, the bottom line was I didn't want to look like me because when I saw me, what I saw was ugly. I saw unlovable, un unworthy, undesirable. And what I realize now is that the enemy took that narrative and used it to pull me away from this story that God was wanting to write through my life. You know, and under that, under the sort of the insecurity that came from that narrative, I started to make really bad choices, particularly in the area of relationships. And again, I look back and I realized that in making some of those choices, what I was trying to do was just silence that narrative that I heard every time I looked in the mirror, trying to alleviate that sense of disappointment that I saw when I looked at my reflection. And, and no amount of, of actually trying to sort of externally improve my appearance ever really made that script go away. It was like deeply ingrained within me. And so I've been on this 20-year journey of allowing God to reshape that narrative, to rewrite 
that story. And, and as I look at those 20 years, I can see that there have been these key moments of breakthrough where I've been filled powerfully with the Holy Spirit, amazing encounters with God that sort of peppered with those breakthrough moments. But it's been more than that as well. I've had to learn the power of making daily decisions to align myself with God's narrative. So there are, there are certain fashion magazines that I just won't buy or look at. There are TV shows that I won't watch. There are Instagram feeds that I won't follow because they are telling me the wrong story. They are colluding with the wrong narrative. They're not fueling the narrative that God is wanting to speak over me. I've also learned the power of naming it. There is something about bringing these internal scripts out into the light in a safe environment. I spent so long trying to hide it, keep it in the dark, but God wants to bring these things out into the light. We need to name some of these things. I also learned the power of looking back in order to go forward, you know, to try and understand what's at the root of this internal script that uh, that I've lived underneath. I've also learned the power of community, trusted friends, trusted friends who won't allow me to keep going back to the words of the script. Godly, life-affirming people that keep me accountable. But above all of that, I've learned the power of immersing myself in the better story. And as followers of Jesus, if we want to be intentional about being shaped to become like him, it means being intentional about those daily choices just to spend time in the better story, in the good story, in God's word, in times of worship, in prayer. It's those things that will shape us. And the sense that I have for us this morning is that God for some of us, is longing to speak a better story over you. He is longing to speak into some of those internal scripts that are pulling you away from you stepping into all that God is calling you to. I love the story of the woman caught in the act of adultery in John 8. You know, Jesus encounters her in this moment of massive public humiliation and he know I mean he's the son of God he knows her he knows her internal script shame failure humiliation and what he does is he speaks a better story over her physically he completely frees her in that moment but spiritually he says go leave your life of sin go free he rewrites the story of her life. Or I think about my kids. You know, I am not a perfect mother by any stretch of the imagination, but that paternal, that maternal instinct within me, it, it, you know, it's, it, it's just, it, it's a fraction, a tiny fraction of what our heavenly father has for us. And as a parent, I look at my children, I see all the stories that are going to surround them, all these narratives that are going to bombard them and tell them all this different stuff. And let's face it, some of those things will inadvertently come from Tim and I, but, but I just want them to know that there is a better story. I want them to know that they are deeply and profoundly loved, they are valued, that they are precious, and that there is a better story. I think some of us need to be reminded that God is powerful enough to rewrite 
some of those narratives. That he is powerful to break into and break through some of the most deeply entrenched beliefs. I think about a guy from our church called James. And uh, James came to Gas Street right at the beginning of our journey about three years ago. Uh, and he kind of stumbled into our church having just finished his second stint in prison. Uh, and James's story, and I, I know he won't mind me sharing this with you, is he experienced horrific abuse as a teenager at the hands of this older guy. Uh, and that abuse left him just, just weighed down with shame. Uh, and so out of that, he turned to drink and drugs and got into crime, ended up in prison. And at the second stint uh, in prison, he came out and he knew he, he wanted to live under a different story. And so he found his way to our church. And you know what's amazing? As I watched our church just get around him, they just, they've just got around him for three years. And it has been the most stunning thing to watch God rewrite the story of James's life. And now he's just launched uh, a clothing line. Uh, it's doing really well. And the clothing line is called Everse. And it's it, the heart, the heart of this clothing line is that people's lives can be turned around, reversed under the power of the better story that God is wanting to tell. You see, stories shape how we live. I want to end here. I know we're running out of time. I just know that God wants to meet with us. But I want to end with this. You know, the picture is so much bigger. Yes, God wants to speak powerfully into our lives, into the narratives that we are living under. But the picture is so much greater than that. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. We are called to speak the better story over our communities, over our cities, over our nation. That's what we're called to do. And we live in a culture, this sort of progressive secularist culture that, that claims to never have been so enlightened. And the narrative in this secular culture that we live in is that we've sort of managed to free ourselves of the shackles of religious authority. We're at last free to be whoever we want to be, to do whatever we want to do. And our, our culture sort of redefined freedom in that way. is defined by this sort of radical individualism. And yet, when we look around, so we look around us, the narrative of our culture, the story that our culture is telling, it's not working. It's just not working. And the overwhelming headline that we see is the story's broken. So many people just racked with anxiety. And rather than us seeing humans flourishing, what we see is so many people living with just this deep sense of inadequacy, this deep sense of meaninglessness and hopelessness and isolation. And so it's urgent it's urgent that as the people of God, with the story of God in our hands, we speak out a story of enduring love, of eternal hope, a story that has power, a story that can redeem and transform every single human heart. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Shall we pray? Why don't we just close our eyes for a moment?
Pete, Bill, give me a shout if if we're going over time. Is that okay? Why don't I invite you to stand then? Why don't you just stand where you are? I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to come now and fill us. Would it be fair to say if you need to go, go? If you need to go, go. There you go. Full permission. Let me pray. Let's just close our eyes for a moment. Holy Spirit, we love you. We love you. We love what you do. We love who you are. And we invite you now to come and fill us again. Fill us again. Fill us again. We desperately need you. We desperately need you, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit, come. And for the sake of time, I'm just going to get straight to the point. I, I think there's some here, and you know that that, that internal script whatever it might be, and I don't think there's any expectation that you need to share it with somebody right now, but if you know that's you, you know that you've been living under this internal script that is holding you back, why don't you just raise a hand? It's a brave thing to do. I don't know how you pray for people here. That's it. Just begin to raise your hands. It's amazing. I'm just going to pray for you, and then I don't know whether there's team around that can pray or if people around you can just lay a hand on the shoulder. I'm just going to pray now as Bill comes up and tells me what to do. But Holy Spirit, I just want to pray for every single person who has their hands raised. I pray, God, that you would begin or continue the work of rewriting that narrative. You know what it is. You know exactly what it is. And I pray, God, where... Satan has used that story to undermine, to sabotage. I pray now in Jesus' name, break the power of it. And we just speak freedom and life and release over each and every person. Each and every person. Each and every person.